Daniel, that is right. Now next week we're going to turn to a different book. Uh, next week is uh, what we uh, call here at North Hills Resurrection Sunday, uh, what many call Easter. And so as we celebrate the resurrection of Christ next week, uh, for the past several years we've turned to 1 Corinthians 15, and we'll do so again next week. And so this week, if you'd like to read through 1 Corinthians 15 and be prepared, uh, then please do so. Uh, but this morning, we are in Daniel chapter 4. Uh, if you were with us last week, we um, kind of continued in, the, the, uh, in chapter 4. Evan started for us a couple weeks ago and kind of getting set up for this second dream. And so last week, we saw the, uh, we saw the dream, and we said we'd work through some of its interpretation uh, this morning, as we will. Uh, but I'm just amazed every week as, as we turn to God's Word, as I, has, as I have an opportunity to study God's Word, that... Uh, just an amazing text. And so as we come to Daniel 4, uh, 19 through 27 this morning, there is just so much happening uh, in this passage. Uh, many commentators would say that this is a passage that is um, the, one of the better passages in Scripture uh, in this dialogue, if you will, similar to a dialogue of uh, of Pharaoh and Moses and, and different dialogues that just that bring clarity to, to several issues is kind of what this passage is before us this morning. And so let's do this as we often do. Let's read our text and then we'll back up and see what the Lord has for us. So Daniel chapter 4 verse 19 says, Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. And Belshazzar answered and said, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all under which beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze and the tender grass of the field and let him be wet with the dew of heaven and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the most high which has come upon my Lord the king that you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may be perhaps a lengthening of your prosperity. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. and We come to you with uh, humble and open hearts to hear from you by your spirit. 
as we look to exalt Christ in this text this morning. Lord, I pray that you would uh, protect me from error this morning and that you would help us to exalt Christ. In his sweet and strong name we do pray. Amen. Well, um, as we did last week, three points this morning, kind of working through this text. We'd like just to lay them out before you, and we'll work our way through them. There are three things that we see in Daniel 4, uh, verses 19 through 27. The first thing that we see is Daniel's dismay, as we see there in verse 19. Uh, see so the dismay of Daniel, we'll unpack that for a little bit. We also see God's decree uh, kind of right here in the middle, which it clearly says in verse 4, it is a decree from the Most High. And then lastly, we're going to turn and look at Nebuchadnezzar's dilemma as we're going to kind of leave on a cliffhanger, if you will, if you've not read the rest of chapter 4 and what Nebuchadnezzar is going to do with this dream and its interpretation. So let's start back at verse 19 as we look at Daniel's dismay. It says there in verse 19 of chapter 4, Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. And the king tried to comfort him and said, uh, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Um, and then he goes on to say, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. And so uh, as we start this passage this morning, we kind of left it from last week where the king had this dream. And, and we know the story. We know that all the wise men came to try to interpret the dream and no one could. And they, they, they couldn't give him or at least rather could, wouldn't give him the interpretation of the dream. As we read through this, it seems pretty clear to us, at least for the most part, what's mostly going on. But none of his magicians, none of his wise men, none of the Chaldeans would answer to the king what his dream meant. And so Daniel comes, it says at last he comes, and he comes in towards the end after everyone has their chance. And he, he knows the interpretation of the dream, not from his own wisdom or wit or intelligence, because he is walking with the Lord. We see this all through, uh, through Daniel. And Daniel is walking with the Lord. He's trusting the Lord. He has faith in God. And so we know that as he serves the king and as he does all the things that Daniel does in this book, he does so empowered by the Spirit. So again, empowered by the Spirit, he knows this dream. He knows the dream. He knows interpretation. He knows what it means. And he knows uh, all the things we're going to unpack this morning. And because he knows that, He's not overjoyed. He doesn't joylessly, joyously come to the king and says, Hey, I can interpret it for you, O king, and let me give you interpretation and, and kind of have this big ceremony and have all this fanfare. But quite the opposite. It says he was dismayed for a while. Now, we don't know exactly to what, to, to what period of time he was dismayed. It could have been moments. It could have been hours or maybe... <clears throat> Excuse me, maybe this was several days that he just kind of mulled this over. And he said, I know what's going on. I know God has clearly uh, given me this interpretation. I know what needs to be told to the king. And it troubled him. It says his thoughts alarmed him. So the obvious question for us is why why did it alarm him he should just hey i know the interpretation uh, i i belong to the lord i have faith in the lord me and my fellow uh, uh hebrew brothers and we are trusting the lord and have been this whole time this is a pagan king and it's time just to go deliver him the news that he deserves to say that god is going to strike you down and not just only you're going to are you going to lose your kingdom but all kind of stuff as we see in this dream are going to happen to you 
And it's going to be very difficult for you. You would think he would have some joy, right, to go to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and tell him, thus says the Lord. But this is not the case. He is dismayed, and his thoughts are alarming him. And you would, uh, it would just, it's interesting as, as to why he is in such a, a state, because his life was not at risk. Like we see in uh, Daniel chapter 2, the lives of his friends and fellow Hebrews were not at risk. And so why was he so bothered? Why was he upset? And so there there seems to be some sort of fondness, if you will, some sort of relationship that has developed between Daniel and King Nebuchadnezzar. Um, They seem to have some kind of connection. Now, you would say, logically reading through Daniel, how could this be? How could Daniel, a prophet of the Lord, a servant of the Most High, uh, one who is is faithfully walking with the Lord, how can he have any kind of relationship? Why would he care about uh, King Nebuchadnezzar? Why should he care about the most prideful man on the earth at this period of time? Why should he be so concerned about this judgment that the Lord is going to pass on? on him and we wouldn't take us too long to answer that question even as we look at our own relationships is there someone that you care for uh who is full of pride and lost and likely there there is and there are people in our life that we understand that even though they are lost and far from the lord even though they may be consumed with sin that we still have grown to like and have a relationship with and so one question for us, I think before us as we think about this, uh, this connection that Daniel has to Nebuchadnezzar is how do you feel when you think of the judgment that awaits for those who are lost, who are apart from God and have an unrepentant heart? How, how, how does it make you feel? How do you think through that? And hopefully it's not one of callous feeling. Hopefully that we, we have this burden for those who do not know the Lord, a burden that drives us and motivates us. And so I know to a degree there is some, some reading in here of some of the things that are happening, but Daniel is clearly dismayed. He is clearly bothered at this news that he's going to have to give the king, this news that is God's pending judgment as to what is going to come about the king and Babylon. And so Daniel has clearly this dismay. Daniel knew what waited for the king if the king did not repent. And we're going to see at the the bottom here in verse 27, you see again this plea to the king. He says, therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Let it be acceptable. And perhaps the Lord will bring prosperity um, to your life. And so Daniel has this connection. He has, this, he has this burden with the king. He knew what waited for the king if he did not repent. And he didn't have confidence that the king would repent. As he thought about King Nebuchadnezzar and as he'd been serving him for a long time at this point now, he knew Nebuchadnezzar. He knew that as he unrolled and unveiled, if you will, this interpretation, he had this feeling that he was not going to just repent and turn to the Lord, but he was consumed with his pride. He was consumed with his pride. And he, but he, he says this interesting phrase here that uh, is not just this response, not just this kind of knee-jerk response. He says there at the end of verse 19, 
my lord <clears throat> may the dream be may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies so he's kind of setting up you know the news here he's setting up this is not a pleasant interpretation i wish that this were true of your enemies that its interpretation and its meaning and its context were for them this is actually kind of a common customary reply in the courts of Babylon. We know that Babylon, uh, they relied a lot on dreams. And we know that the, dream, the two dreams that we see in Daniel are dreams that are from the Lord. They're not just dreams that are, that are meaningless, but they have great meaning and weight that the Lord has given uh, the king. But because there is a lot of weight put on uh, dreams in this time, it's a customary reply. May this dream be for your enemies. And so as one author puts it here of Daniel's, we just kind of continue to think about his, his connection, relationship with the king. It says this, that Daniel was completely faithful to his God and at the same time completely faithful to his king. And how rare that is um, to have that kind of relationship, to have that kind of connection, to be both faithful to the Lord and faithful um, in a way that honors the Lord to those who are around us who are lost. Daniel was faithful to the king through speaking the truth. And this is where we see both of these faithfulnesses, both of these acts of faithfulness come into play. That he never dishonors the Lord. He, he embraces, he, he prepares himself to deliver this truth because it's no, he knows it's from the Lord and he presents to the king what the king needs to hear. Not what he wants to hear. He doesn't come to puff up his pride ultimately. We're going to see that he speaks to his pride for sure. But he comes to give the unfiltered truth that God is trying to deliver to this king. And Daniel knows that, he's been, that he is being used by the king. And imagine how difficult this must have been for Daniel. Because he knows the king's crazy, right? He knows the king has been alive. He knows he doesn't know what the king is liable to do. But yet he is fully prepared to deliver the truth. The other wise men, the other Chaldeans, uh, they didn't dare tell the king the interpretation, even if they knew it. They feared for their life. And yet Dan Daniel understood his assignment. He understood what God was calling him to do and how he had placed him at this time for this purpose. And so he stood at the strength of the Lord. So a question for us this morning to consider, do you ever consider the relationships that you have? Do you ever cons consider the, the people the Lord has brought you into their life? Why do you have these relationships? Because the Lord knows I need a good friend. He knows I need a good boss or he knows uh, he knows what I need. But we know that all things are for the glory of God. And so God has put these these many relationships in our life, all of them for a clear purpose. And if we would just listen to the Lord and be sensitive to the spirit. We, too, would find ourselves in a position to exalt Christ in these relationships because our relationships are ultimately not for us. They're for the glory of God. God has placed you in the family that you're in for a reason. He said, well, John, you don't know my family. He made a mistake. I was swapped in, in, at birth. I was swapped before I was even conceived in my mother's womb. God made a mistake. Clearly, God makes no mistakes. Now, this one may be tough. Kids, your siblings are no mistakes. But, John, you don't know how annoying my sister is. John, you don't know how dumb my brother is. 
John, you don't know the, the difficulties I have with my siblings. God, kids, God, or even adults too, God has put us with the siblings he has for a reason. Because again, he makes no mistakes. Your parents are your parents by God's design. Your brothers, your sisters, your family, all of these are by God's design. Those that you work with are by God's design. John, you, you don't know that. I mean, I'm just in this temporary place, and God doesn't even know our work. He doesn't, I'm just there, and I just can't wait to get out every day and get away from that place and go do all the other things that I want to do and serve the Lord in different capacities. But even where we work and the relationships we have with our coworkers or our bosses, every relationship, and we can think through our life and the numerous relationships, God is at work in those. If we would trust the Spirit and we would look to the Lord. And like Daniel, we too might be dismayed for those that we do not believe know the Lord. And like Daniel, we need to be willing to stand on the truth and share the gospel truth with those that God has put in our life. Well, let's move on to his dreams. Not only do we see Daniel's dismay, we also see God's decree. We see this uh, the second dream that we have recorded in the book of Daniel. The dream goes... Verse 20 there, the tree that you saw, which grew and became strong so that its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Now that is a big old tree. It's a huge tree. Whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant in which it in which was food for all under the beast of the field. Uh, under which the beasts of the field found shade, and whose branches the birds of heaven lived. It is you. And some say that's kind of reminiscent of um, whenever, um, oh, my brain just left me, Samuel, right? Uh, told, told the king, it is you that he speaks of. It is you, O king. But this is more in a positive way at this point, that this great and glorious tree that is providing for the people of your kingdom, it is you. You who have grown and become strong. <clears throat> Your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens or reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And so we see before we see God's decree come into place, we see this dream that we looked at last week and we see that it's clear interpretation. This tree, there is no mistake that the, this, the central idea of this whole dream, the, the center of it is this tree. Everything hinges around the tree. And it's clear that it is looking at, it is modeling the life and the, the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar. At the center of this dream is, this, is the epic pride of one man, King Nebuchadnezzar. And you even see it in how Daniel is relaying this dream to the king. It is centers around the pride, the epic pride, if you will, of one man. His pride is illustrated by a huge massive tree this tree provided prosperity and protection to the people of the kingdom of nebuchadnezzar the kingdom of babylon so this tree if if the tree is you and you are providing all of everything that that every human every animal everything needs then you can only imagine how much pride you are consumed with you have need for nothing else and so he's clearly looking at Nebuchadnezzar, and if it's not clear enough, he says there in verse 22, it is you. But then something happens in verse 23. 
And because the king saw a watcher, we see this uh, in, uh, in the, the uh, last week's text, because we see this watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it. Now that's some harsh words, right? Because he's already made the connections. You are the tree, Nebuchadnezzar. It is you. It's not, not a representation of you. It's not something else. It is, it is literally you. This tree in your dream represents you. And so now these holy ones, these watchers are coming down and they're chopping down the tree to destroy it. They're not chopping it down to build something greater. They're not chopping it down and, and planting up the logs and building this great uh, edifice. They're chopping it down and destroying it. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze and the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High. Now, Nebuchadnezzar has already encountered God. He's already had many encounters with God. He's seen his greatness. He's seen his sovereignty. And now Daniel points to this isn't just a a, a saying of my God that we have in Israel. This is a decree. This is a decree specifically to you, King Nebuchadnezzar, that he is going to cut you down and destroy you. So make no mistake that that Daniel is being crystal clear with the king as to what awaits the king. It is his decree, and as we've talked often and many times about the decrees of God, they happen, they come about. When God says it, it happens. And so here is this, this decree that this tree, who is Nebuchadnezzar, will be chopped down and destroyed. Now, we see this uh, in other places in Scripture. This is not an uncommon reference. Just to give you a couple, you can write these down. Isaiah 2, verse 12 through 13. We'll read that passage. It says, For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low against all of the cedars of Lebanon, lofty and lifted up, and against all the oaks of Bashan. And so we see this picture of pride. It's oftentimes associated with these trees. And, and God's judgment is to cut them down. Then you go to Ezekiel. Let's just turn to Ezekiel 31 real quick. It's just one book to your left. Ezekiel chapter 31. We're not going to read um, the whole passage. But if you want a more detailed account of kind of what's happening even in Daniel 4 with this, this beautiful tree that has all these things going for it and Ultimately, what the Lord sees, Ezekiel 31 is an incredible chapter. And just to read a few verses throughout this passage. Um, in the 11th year, in the third month, the first day, uh, the Son of Man said to Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And so he's speaking to Pharaoh, and he's going to use another illustration, if you will. So he speaks to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and to his multitude. Whom are you like in your greatness? Behold, Assyria was a cedar in Lebanon with beautiful branches and forest shade. He goes on to talk about its towering heights and all these beautiful aspects of the tree uh, that is describing uh, this, describing ultimately Pharaoh and his kingdom. Then you come down to verse 10. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because it towered high, because of its pride, and set its top among the clouds, and its heart was proud of its height. 
I will give it into the hand of a mighty one of the nations, and he shall surely deal with it as its wickedness deserves. And then you can kind of finish reading the chapter and just see all that happens. And this is very similar in Daniel chapter 4. God has decreed that Nebuchadnezzar's reign will end. I know we've, we've walked through this already as we've gone through Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 3, Daniel chapter 4. We're going to see it again next week. But God is clear, and he's been very clear through Daniel, that your kingdom is not going to last forever. There is a kingdom that is eternal, but it's not the kingdom of Babylon. And there is a king who is eternal, but it's not King Nebuchadnezzar. <clears throat> so God has decreed that Nebuchadnezzar's reign will end. His kingdom taken from him. And ultimately, and it gets kind of specific in here, if you're reading and, and you're understanding and you're kind of seeing what's happening, but not only is his kingdom going to be lost, but even his mental ability, his mental stability, if you will, is going to be taken away from him. Because as you work through this passage, and you see it kind of just shifts from talking about a tree to all of a sudden talking about a man. As you chop down the tree there in verse 23 and destroy it, but leave the stump and its roots bound with a band of iron and bronze and tender grass, and let him, so now we shift right there, let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Now, that is, a, that is ultimately a picture, and uh, I can't give you the exact name for the condition, but there is a condition uh, in which one thinks that he can be an animal. Even in modern times, there is an example, as silly as it sounds, a person thought he was a cat for 13 years. It was the only thing uh, mentally unstable. Everything else about his life was, was normal. He held a job, but he thought he was a cat for 13 years, and then one day it stopped. Now, of all the things you could think you could be, the cat is the absolute worst. I'm sorry for those who love cats. But there is this condition, and so, and, and in this, and in this particular condition, as it's speaking to Nebuchadnezzar, that you end up basically in a field all night long because you think that you're a bull, and that you wake up wet from the dew of the morning. And so he's given some language here that is very clear, and we're going to see this in a couple of weeks as we come to the humi- to the humiliation of Nebuchadnezzar. But this is not you're going to lose your kingdom and die. This is you're going to lose your kingdom, you're going to lose your subjects, you're going to lose your power, you're going to lose your mental stability, you're going to lose everything in your life. And this is the decree of the Lord. And as we'll see in a minute, unless you repent and turn to the Lord. So he has decreed that Nebuchadnezzar's reign is going to come to an end. His kingdom will be taken away. will be mentally unstable. In essence, he would lose everything. Because ultimately, apart from God, we have nothing anyway. And even Nebuchadnezzar, the height of his kingdom, he had nothing if he do not have the Lord. Before we move on to from uh, from God's decree here, let us look at this stump for a moment. Let's find uh, our stump here. Where are we at? Shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know the most high rules the kingdom of man and gifts uh, to whom he will. And as it is commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Now that's an interesting statement, right? When you say, Nebuchadnezzar, that heaven rules, <laughs> everything's going to be okay. Now, obviously, we know it's not quite like that. And this is a a rare, actually, I believe this is the only time in the Old Testament that we even see this kind of language that heaven rules. But it's a way to acknowledge the kingdom of God. 
And so he says here that until you acknowledge the kingdom of God, you're going to be cut down. All that's going to be left is a stump because it was commanded, it says, to leave the stumps, to leave the stump of the roots of the tree. So we're going to leave the stumps. Now, I don't know if you've been around many stumps in your life, but clearly put, stumps are sad. If you see a stump, it's just kind of, it tells a sad story because once there what? Used to be a tree there. And depending on the size of the stump, maybe you can tell it used to be a great tree. Maybe if you know uh, trees well, you can look at the stump and know what kind of tree it was. Maybe it was a live oak tree that had lived for hundreds of years and now it's gone. But I think stumps are pretty sad things. Uh, it's a reminder that there once was life. And now there is no hope. Have you ever seen a stump just turn back into the tree? They cut it down, there's a stump, and now the tree grew back? No, not that same tree. And so it's a picture that once there was life and now there is death. And if you know anything about stumps, they're very difficult to remove. At work day, we removed a, a, a stump yesterday, and uh, my son and all of his, uh, his young man's strength said, I can take this stump down. And many of us men, we kind of scoffed at we men. But my son got there with an axe, and he worked for about 30 minutes, and he got that stump out of there. And he came back to me later and said, Dad, that was a tough stump. <laughs> I had no idea it was that heavy and that big. And it was from a, just a small crepe myrtle. But these, these stumps, why, why, the, 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 why speaking about this stump? Why the command to leave the stump? Because the decree of God was to was to bring his judgment against Nebuchadnezzar and against Babylon. But he says, you'll get your kingdom back. Your kingdom will be confirmed for you from the time that you acknowledge that heaven rules. From the time that you acknowledge the true king and the true eternal kingdom, who is the, which is the kingdom of God. So God in his infinite power can restore a kingdom from a mere stump, from a simple, sad, mere stump, God can restore a kingdom. And if the king knows that heaven rules, so if, if he knows this, if he recognizes this, then the Lord will restore his kingdom. And we're going to see that in the next couple of weeks as we finish chapter 4. But the reason that I love looking and stopping at this stump, because it points us to a better stump. It points us to a greater kingdom. Go with me to Isaiah, about three books to your left, I believe. Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11, and we'll read the first 11 verses here. Because there is a far greater kingdom and a far greater king that comes from another stump. So Isaiah chapter 11, starting in verse 1, says this, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf 
shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. And they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, from the stump of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. And so we see that there is a kingdom that is, that is coming who is righteous, who has looked at heaven and said heaven rules, who, who comes on behalf of the kingdom of God, who is the king of the kingdom of God, and he is Christ. And so he gives, he brings his judgment to Nebuchadnezzar and he warns him of the, of the impending doom. But ultimately what we see in this stump is not hoping the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar being restored, not hoping any kingdom of man being restored, not in the hope of, of even our earthly kingdom today being strong and surviving storms and surviving battles and wars, but our hope is that Christ has come. The shoot of Jesse from the stump of Jesse has come. And He is Christ. God has decreed that His glorious kingdom would come from a stump. And we see that in Isaiah chapter 11. So we see Daniel's dismay. We see God's decree. And then finally, we see Nebuchadnezzar's dilemma. He's in a pickle here. There in verse 27. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed. That... Or you can say, so that there may be perhaps a lengthening of your prosperity. So Daniel has brought the interpretation of the dream to the king. He has withheld nothing. He has interpreted clearly who the dream is about, who the tree represents, who is the king, and that indeed the king will be destroyed, he'll be cut low. But now he comes to him and he brings him this we don't like to use the word decision, but it brings in this dilemma that if you would look to, if you would look to the God that I've been speaking to you about for decades, Nebuchadnezzar, if you would look to his kingdom, if you would pursue his glory and not your own glory, if you exchange the pursuit of your glory, king, and you will pursue the glory of God, then maybe, perhaps, he will lengthen your prosperity. Perhaps he would do good towards you. Perhaps he would bless you. Perhaps he would save you. And we keep seeing these encounters with Nebuchadnezzar. He keeps having these opportunities to turn to the Lord and trust him. And as we would say today, be saved. But it's not happened. 
Because he continues to be this massive tree. He continues to be this epic example of human pride. And it's all about his glory and his kingdom. And Daniel desires to see Nebuchadnezzar to turn to and trust and walk with the Lord. Oh, king, would you hear me? Oh, king, would you listen? Not to me, but to the words of my God. Would you hear this and respond? In essence, Daniel is pleading with King Nebuchadnezzar to be saved. And it's clear, it's important to see, because you can read this language, and it almost seems like Daniel saying, if you'll do these things, you'll be saved. If you'll stop sinning, it's been a while since we've made fun of uh, a church sign years ago. It's a church sign in our, in our community. Um, and it's because we actually we talk about, we changed our church sign yesterday. And it's always difficult when you have a church sign because it's a monument to dad jokes, right? You can be so corny out there and say all kind of, uh, of cheesy things or you can just give good information. But this one church in our community just said, uh, stop sinning. That's it. That's all we got to do is just stop sinning. Thank you, church sign. And, it's, and it could seem like we're seeing here, if you'll just stop sinning, if you'll break off your sins and stop your iniquities, then you'll be practicing righteousness. You'll be showing mercy to the oppressed. But Daniel is clearly not saying that if you'll just do these good things, if you'll just practice these good works, then you will come to know the Lord. Instead, he's saying, if we would see these things in your life, Nebuchadnezzar, if you will break off your sins, if you will cease from the sinful, prideful life that consumes you, if you will stop oppressing the poor, if you'll show mercy, that will show me, your advisor, that God has gotten a hold of your life. Daniel's not saying this, that stop sinning leads to righteousness, nor that showing mercy makes one righteous. He is pointing to the fact that if Nebuchadnezzar repents of his sin and trusts the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he will be given a new heart and have new desires. And it's always important for us to remember that good works and a hatred of sin does not lead to salvation, but flows from salvation. It is a sign that one has been saved because you cannot do enough good works to be saved. You cannot. And so the question is with Nebuchadnezzar, what is he going to do? How is he going to respond to this dilemma? Will he heed the word and the warning of the Lord through Daniel and turn to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and repent? Or will he continue about his pride-filled life? And so you've got to come back in two weeks for that answer. Let us pray. Lord, we do thank you.